you still searching for ways to become more capable of handling any disruption and any challenges in your life? Are you looking to become more resilient? Are you ready for part two? Welcome to episode 22 of Unmasking the Abuser, the podcast. I'm Dr. Dina McMillan. I'm a social psychologist, a relationship consultant, and an expert on domestic abuse and violence. This episode is going to continue our discussion on resilience. Resilience as an active and necessary life skill everyone needs to understand and build. We're also going to go over some specific steps you can start today to begin sharpening and reinforcing your resilient superpower. Now, before we do, about episode 21, part one on resilience. After a helpful conversation from a listener, so thank you, Denise, I realized some of you may find it too painful to return to a tough time, even for a short period, too much to handle. In that episode, I asked you to visualize a tough situation in your past, but I asked you to choose a situation where you've recovered and come out the other side. I included the exercise because visualization is a powerful technique that helps embed key information into the parts of your brain that awaken when you're feeling emotional, afraid, angry, or even sexually attracted to someone. Performing visualization and including all of your senses can help store that information so you'll be likely to remember it and use it even when your feelings are strong. I realized that if you chose a situation where you haven't fully healed, then taking you back there could re-trigger the trauma. If this is something you don't want to risk and you haven't yet listened to episode 21, you should know the visualization exercise is between 17 minutes and 23 seconds and lasts until 20 minutes and 52 seconds. Just skip through it if you think the exercise will be too much to handle. You'll still gain a lot of insights from the other parts of the episode. This takes us directly into where I want to begin this second episode on resilience. Something I have to keep stressing is that resilience won't keep you from getting scared or being overwhelmed by your feelings when something happens to you or around you. But it is the best way to manage yourself and your choices when what occurs is frightening or terrible or outside of your control. Resilience teaches methods to restore command over your physical responses diminishing the intensity of your knee-jerk reactions. It gives you tactics to regain some authority over your mental state, helping you cope and not fall apart. Over time and with practice, using the active techniques, your judgment and critical thinking are reestablished. It provides a broader perspective to help you objectively determine the most effective next steps for you. The ultimate goal of resilience is simple. 
teaching you to respond and not react when a challenging event occurs or is anticipated. Reaction is fear-based, visceral, and immediate. It's colored by past events, the reactions of those around you, and your beliefs about the cause of the issue whose accuracy you haven't had a chance to check. It produces significant anxiety and stress. Reacting shrinks your perceptions and limits your understanding. In contrast, responding is not immediate. It gets you to first calm yourself and then take the time to assess the situation and consider all of your options before you choose a course of action. Because it is so important, we need to consider how to fuel your resilience. Resilience is a core skill, a necessity, something we should begin learning in childhood and have reinforced throughout our lives. No one's life is without pain and uncertainty and disappointment and loss. Everyone fails at one time or another. Everyone faces disruptive life situations that are beyond their control. We should all be taught and encouraged to handle these situations in the most efficient way so we're able to get through them with minimal harm. Then again, we have to remember even the most proficient skills in the world and the most effective tools only make a difference if they're used used consistently, and used well. So how can you build this vital resource and encourage yourself to use it every time you need it? In other words, how can you encourage yourself to keep going until you're healed or until the situation is resolved? How can you find the strength and the willpower to pick up and try again after a big loss, a failure, a disaster? If the recent past has shown us nothing else, it's proven that the time and energy it takes to get through uncertainty, loss, crisis, catastrophe, changing norms and circumstances may be significantly longer and more brutal than we expected at the beginning. The more resources we have available, the better. Building a reserve to keep your resilience going takes a few things that I'm going to list, but I don't want you to think of them as separate. They weave themselves together in your mind, stoking up that fire that can help you like nothing else. All of these can and should be started as soon as possible, today if you can. These can be developed and directly used to feed your resilience. Do you recall last episode where I briefly mentioned confidence and said that you may already be someone who believes you're resilient? I noted that confidence isn't enough without the specific skills to back it up. But I also mentioned that confidence itself is a good thing. That's because it's part of the first element, your sense of self. Who are you? How do you handle challenges and adversity? Are you someone who runs or someone who stands firm? Are you solution focused? Are you disciplined? 
Are you someone who keeps your word, especially to yourself? If that doesn't sound like you now, start working to make it true for you. The easiest way is to start by keeping your word. Big or small, when you say you're going to do something, make it into a sacred promise. Then, regardless of fatigue or frustration or for any other cause, make sure you follow through. After you do it, congratulate yourself to yourself and reframe what you did as, I'm someone who does what I promise. Use this type of reframing with any other quality you associate with resilience, courage, flexibility, discernment, the ability to calm yourself, thinking before you speak or act. Challenge yourself to perform every quality associated with resilience somewhere in your life. Then assure yourself it's now a fixed quality in your personality. Repeat this as often as possible until it's not only the way you describe yourself, it becomes how others see you too. You noticed I said you don't have to say any of this out loud. And in fact, you probably shouldn't. You don't want to invite other people's opinions on whether they believe what you're saying is true or not. It only has to be clear and firm and convincing in your own mind. Unless you have a sense of self as a strong, adaptable, and solution-focused person, you won't even try to push through when the going gets tough. Look around for resources to help you build that sense of self that says, I can do this. Just make sure the sources include learnings that are interactive and emotionally engaging and not just intellectually interesting. Tied into your sense of self is your sense of purpose. What's your unique contribution to your job, your family, our society? What do you do well? What benefits do your efforts bring to others? Your sense of purpose is weighed by its value both to yourself and to others, not just by how much money people are willing to pay for you to do it. Here you have an advantage if your sense of purpose involves other people. If your purpose is just to get through until retirement or to make more money than your high school friends, that may not be enough. You need a sense of purpose that gives you wings. It needs to get you to slog through whatever challenges emerge. A sense of purpose that includes doing things to the best of your ability and being there for others will give you strength when you didn't know you had any left. It's great if you can find a sense of purpose in your job, but if not, find it in your family, your close friends, perhaps volunteer work. Just find it. Motivation is also an element that fuels resilience. When you start with the end result in mind and you're motivated, you'll be able to encourage yourself to keep going even when you still can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Motivation is built from a need, a connection, a set of goals that really matter to you. It feeds enthusiasm and passion and discipline and resolve. 
at the same time you're recognizing your sense of self and building your sense of purpose, also find something that motivates you down to your bones. The three of these together, sense of self, sense of purpose, and motivation merge into a resilience powerhouse. Now let's talk about some other steps you can take to maximize your resilience. Last time, I focused a lot on something I called MRM to make it easier to remember. It stands for mindfulness, reframing, and movement. They're important responses after you face the emotional onslaught that follows a highly painful or disruptive life event. They have benefits even if you're not currently experiencing a crisis. Becoming acquainted with these methods through focus and practice also makes them more readily on hand when you need them. An aspect of mindfulness I discussed is self-aware wellness checks. I want to expand on that a bit more before we go through some specific steps that can help you build and strengthen your resilience. These wellness checks are that important. So often we get caught up in work, obligations, and caring for others, and we get out of practice in caring for ourselves. Sometimes we just don't want to admit the impact of uncertainty, restrictions, worries, change, loss, past failures, and what they're doing to our mind and body. We get used to telling ourselves and everyone else, oh yes, we're fine, we'll be okay. We think if we don't acknowledge we're not doing so well, then it won't affect us as much. It will just go away on its own. We'll recover better if we don't pick at it. This is a type of passive resilience where we hope, without actually checking, that there's enough in our tank to take us to the point where we really begin to feel better. And it's not good enough. Again, start where you are. Let me explain. I have a Fitbit. Perhaps you have one too, or an Apple Watch, or another device that you wear on your wrist. You can even use a smartphone for some of the same functions. My Fitbit keeps track of the steps I take each day, my active minutes, and importantly, both my heart rate and my resting heart rate. In April 2020, I noticed my resting heart rate had gone up to 71. Yikes! My Fitbit also keeps track of my sleep. I was sleeping between three and four hours a night. You don't need to be a physician to realize this wasn't good at all. And I do that self-awareness wellness check on a regular basis. I knew I had to do something to get my mental and physical balance back. I also pay attention to my digestion, whether or not I get headaches and whether my temper is short. Am I breaking down into tears for no reason? Do I feel like giving up? Am I having trouble focusing? Or am I having mood swings or nervousness? Is my general energy low? Most of those have been okay for the most part, although the waves of sadness happened at times. 
A lot happened that was less than happy for me in 2020, including the passing of my mom. So I knew I was going through it. How about you? If you ask those same questions to yourself, where would you rate? I certainly wasn't alone in having worries and issues in 2020. Amazon even made a film where a character called the year 2020 a trifling hoe. I only saw the ad for the film, but that description made me laugh when I heard it. I spoke to my GP about my heart rate and sleep. She gave me some suggestions and asked if I wanted sleeping pills or anxiolytics. I told her I'll accept if my other techniques don't work. If I need counseling, she didn't need to worry. I'd do that too. General feelings of wellness, decent sleep, moderate heart rate. These are all very serious things to pay attention to and nothing to play with. Due to 2020 restrictions, I went for more than three months without seeing another adult's face without a mask. Isolation is not good for your health. I tried to improve my sleep and lower my heart rate. What helped me the most and within a short period of time? My mindfulness pre-dawn walks, where I listen and do my guided meditation exercises as I go. My neighborhood is hilly, so that helped my stamina. The air is sweet and filled with bird song at that time of day. It's absolutely beautiful. At night, I've also started a routine, including going to bed at a certain time, turning off all of my electronic devices, and setting out my clothes for my early walk the next morning. I do a short guided meditation when I get into bed. My sleeping has improved dramatically, but not so much that I'm unable to get up when my alarm sounds. Playing gentle jazz music, not a harsh clanging or a buzzing sound. My resting heart rate has lowered and I'm certainly sleeping better. I keep checking myself, asking myself, how am I doing without editing or explaining? I fortunately haven't needed to use any prescription medications as yet. If I did, I would take them and work with my doctor to use them only as long as necessary. I'd admit it openly. The same goes for anxiety or hopelessness or anything where therapy would support my efforts. And let me tell you, my need for resilience has continued to be tested. I rely heavily on my mindfulness exercises to get through. I start with deep breathing. Even controlling your breathing for 30 seconds can significantly lower anxiety. I remind myself to feel grateful for all of the blessings in my life, including the blessing of being able to help others through my work. I go through a mental tally, forgiving anyone and everyone who's ever hurt me or those I love. I remind myself of our human connection to each other, a connection that's bigger than the present time or anything that separates us. I work on that connection, spending time with friends and making new ones. 
Mindfulness can put you back in charge of what's occurring in your head and your heart. It can help you process what's going on in your body. Even when it's something so big, you still feel it running through your emotions. Mindfulness pulls you away from that narrow view where the world shrinks down to include only your fear or your pain. When you're in that mind state, you can't see or feel anything else. When overwhelming situations arise that completely throw us, the future isn't even a concept in our minds. The whole world becomes now. Resilience helps us remember there's more than this and there's more than the present that the future will come. Then there's framing and reframing, something we discussed as a method for handling fear. Reframing reminds you to get perspective on what's occurring before you allow yourself to respond to it. That can be especially important in helping you reduce your mistakes. It can offset exaggerated reactions to something that needs to be handled with care. Reframing gives you scale, reminds you that you can handle what's occurring, or you'll do the research to find out the best approach. You'll ask and accept the help you need. It's telling yourself, this isn't the end of the world, that things like this have happened before. Time and perspective and research will help you find a solution. If your beliefs include faith, reframing can remind you that anyone who passes isn't lost forever, that you'll see them again. It can give you somewhere to direct your hopes about your future. Reframing also includes what you say to yourself. It's critical for you to monitor your self-talk. Be alert for anything that's defeatist, lacking in confidence, or centering on anger or feelings of betrayal. It's natural to feel those things for a while, after a shocking loss or, or failure, or when someone hurts you or does something completely unfair. But over time, you should work to replace those thoughts with those that give you strength and improve your determination. Even when you've been hurt badly by someone else, do the work to release the hate. There's a saying that feeling hatred is like taking poison and expecting the other person to die. It saps your strength and limits your resilience. That leads us into the second M, movement. In addition to getting yourself to move your body, Actively seek out a physician, a specialist, a qualified therapist, a faith leader, a support group. If the circumstances are significantly dire and lasting, they may trigger depression, debilitating loss of confidence, reckless or self-destructive behaviors, sabotaging your other relationships or your career, or even phobias. If your life is being impacted by your thoughts, your feelings, or any physical symptoms, please be smart enough to see a qualified health professional right away. When you do, don't underreport your symptoms because you don't want to be seen as weak or a complainer. You can't be helped 
if you don't accurately report what's wrong and include everything that's wrong. While you're attending to your physical and mental health, it may be useful to get yourself to read, listen, or watch things that inspire you and remind you of your ability to handle adversity. Again, make sure whatever you're using will engage your emotions, not just your intellect. It has to get you to put a thick line around the painful event and help you remember it's just one situation among the thousands that make up your life. Now, we're not quite done yet. We need to discuss feelings a bit more if you're going to build and maintain your resilience skills. Emotion is a powerful element in our reaction to big life events. Anytime strong emotions are engaged, get used to immediately practicing deep breathing and mindfulness before you allow yourself to choose a response. That's the single most important resilient skill I can recommend. Not reacting when feelings are high in yourself and in those around you. Be alert for the fact that we all have a strong social and cultural drive to do what we see and think others do. If other people are acting afraid, we'll become scared. If they're angry, we'll be likely to get angry. Strong emotions are contagious. Beliefs spread too. If the people around you are considering the event in a particular way, your mind will encourage you to do the same. It won't ask you first, and you may not even notice you're caught up in groupthink. It takes practice and confidence to stand in the stream of strong emotion and not allow yourself to be swept along. That's why I say anytime something happens, stop. Breathe. Breathe again. Consciously engage your intellect. Remind yourself you need to seek out the best options for the situation. Ask yourself to consider what may be missed by those who are caught up in the emotional maelstrom. Be smart. Resilience shows you how to effectively cope and regain focus, motivation, and control. But first, you'll feel the emotions. Learn to expect fear, not just in your mind, but also in your body. The unconscious initial reaction by your mind and body, whenever it's confronted with any type of disruption, is to define it as a threat. Depending on how big a deal it is, you'll feel uncomfortable or even afraid. Understanding this and having methods on hand to work through whatever type and level of fear is incited can help you restore your composure. The exercises you use to do this, even as simple as a few deep breaths, will give you the ability to process what's happening more rapidly and with less emotional turmoil. By the way, you should also know the repression of fear, anxiety, and stress is not the same as effectively processing these feelings. Repression has its own costs and isn't a solution. 
Well, now that you have a basic understanding of how your mind and body act and interact whenever you face a change, loss, or disruption, let's go through resilience step by step. Remind yourself of these factors so they're automatic and will come to the forefront of your mind whenever you need them. Step one, brace yourself. When something happens that floods you with emotion, or when something happens that triggers your primal reactions, you're going to feel it no matter how skilled you are at resilience. It's like walking outside in a storm with powerful winds pushing against your body, filled with cold, sharp pellets of rain. It's going to push you back, and you're going to get wet and probably sore. When things happen, you're going to feel them. Whenever any primal reaction is triggered, it's also useful to anticipate that it won't necessarily stay in its lane. An example I see a lot is that people who've been in abusive relationships can find their reaction to danger, their intuitive warning of threat, is now mixed up with their sexual desire. It's not something they did on purpose, but it came about as a result of strong experiences with their abuser. And it's not just romantic relationships where things get blended together. Don't expect your reactions and emotions to be easily picked apart. They may combine. Your emotions and reactions will also probably ebb and flow, getting stronger at times when your guard is down, like in the middle of the night, and seeming to be more manageable during the day when you're busy with something else. Brace yourself and expect it. You're going to feel it. While we're discussing what to expect, step two is having realistic expectations. You need to understand even the most effective resilience tools available aren't a magic wand. You have to practice your resilience skills repeatedly. Every time you do, a little more of the key insights become embedded in the parts of your mind and body that take over when you're experiencing pain, fear, loss, or failure. They'll work, but a little at a time. Don't get discouraged. Keep going. Step three is setting and keeping goals. These should be daily goals. Depending on how badly the situation affected you, a daily goal could be as simple as just getting out of bed and taking a shower every day. It may be to think of 10 people to contact about a new job or an hour a day of walking, running, working out at the gym. Whatever it is, keep it realistic and give yourself high praise for completing it. One day at a time, remember? Then, gradually increase your goals. Push yourself to do a little more each time. If you backslide or it becomes all too hard, try again. Get help with making and keeping these goals if you need to. Hold yourself accountable for sticking to them. Setting and keeping goals is where the MRM, Mindfulness Reframing and Movement, are useful. Remember, mindfulness includes the self-aware wellness check. 
If you're doing it really tough, your inability to reframe what occurred or get yourself to stick to any goals is a sign of trouble. Your movement then needs to include making an appointment with a health or mental health professional. All three parts of MRM need to be completed with this step. After all, a goal is not a goal if it doesn't also include some type of action. This may be totally against what your broken heart is telling you to do. It may be telling you to go to bed and pull the covers up and don't come out again until the next decade. All of the mindfulness tools work best if you're able to force yourself to stay active. It's easier to make goals and keep them if you're able to forestall any negative whispering going on in your head. Reframing may also require you actively pay attention to whom you're around and what you expose yourself to in the media. You need to be around those who help fortify your empowering reframe perspectives, not those who repeat the worst self-defeating thoughts you're actively working to displace. Now, step four, unless we're talking about an immediate emergency where life and limb are at risk, don't allow others to rush you into making decisions about how to handle the situation. Take your time and get the information you need to make the best decisions for everyone concerned, including yourself. Take some deep breaths, go for a walk, and actively explore all of your options. A little note here, if you find useful information on the subject that's not being considered by others, don't keep it to yourself. Be willing to share it with anyone in authority who's making decisions and anyone else affected by the situation. Step five, make sure you have options. Have more than one choice available in case there are things you haven't considered that arise once you start. The situation itself may change over time and you need to be ready. Step six, forgive yourself. Forgive yourself for any mistakes you've made in the past and any new mistakes you may make along the way. If something goes wrong while you're handling a situation, forgive yourself again and be willing to gather more or better information so you can keep going. Don't feel like you have to stay on a course of action just because you started that way. You always have the right to stop and reboot if your path isn't taking you where you want to go. Step seven, remind yourself often that you can do this. My mother used to say, this too shall pass. Tell yourself that as you keep your feet moving and your mind first on your daily goals, and then later, as you begin to heal and recover on your bigger goals. A few other points to remember in times of uncertainty, loss, failure, crisis, disaster. Emotion can also be a powerful tool of manipulation. During times of uncertainty, our appetite for risk goes down. 
People who are trying to manipulate us know this. That's why they'll be especially pushy during these occasions, trying to frighten us into doing things we may regret later or to get us to make premature commitments. You be ready for them. Don't hesitate to ask for more time or to just say no. Don't agree to anything where you aren't able to change your mind later. People who want to manipulate you will try to evoke strong, visceral reactions to make you feel afraid or angry to get you to do what they want you to do. They'll go for the emotions too, offering sympathetic stories to tug at your heartstrings and gain your unthinking support. Responding instead of reacting means you won't be as likely to fall for these tricks. Whenever you see, hear, or read something that engages strong emotion, resilience requires you to stop and breathe. Do your research before making a choice or decision. Is what they're saying true? Is it the whole story? What do people who oppose this say? How do the people proposing this behave if I ask questions or say no? Are they okay with it or do they attack me? If they attack, then they're behaving like abusers. And that's a clear sign something isn't right. Decisions made due to high emotion or reaction are the most likely to end in regret. Actions based on flawed information, crucial facts not included, imbalanced or unfair allocation of resources. Don't be led around. Resilience includes the type of action that minimizes mistakes. That means being confident enough to think things through and not allow emotions, even when you feel them strongly, to override your good sense. Also be on the lookout for confirmation bias in your own mind. Confirmation bias is a natural tendency to notice and remember information that confirms our beliefs or choices as the right ones. It's not objective, and it can keep you from noting when your choices are based on incomplete or incorrect information, and perhaps you need to choose differently in order to succeed. When you're going through a tough time, expose yourself to things that will take you out of your own mind for a while. That can include reading an engaging book, watching a favorite uplifting film, sharing a comedy TV show with friends, playing with your children. Anytime you're able to stand back from your situation through meditation or prayer, through shared experiences with loved ones, or through positive entertainment, it will give you renewed energy when you go back into the situation that's demanding your resilience. So don't feel guilty. You'll need this. Staying immersed all the time won't help you get through it faster or better. Taking your mind off of it for a while can be a smart, strategic move. And here's some good news. Resilience is something you can start wherever you are. You may have been cringing through much of this podcast 
as you reflect on how you've managed a situation in your distant or even recent past. But it's all okay. We all make decisions or choices that we regret later. Start using resilience methods now, beginning with mindfulness exercises and increasing your willingness to look outside yourself for help. Stop, look, and listen to discover your full range of choices and consider any and all that are viable before you make a decision. Make this your new standard method for handling any type of disruption, loss, failure, or crisis. Okay, so what do you think? Are you ready to get started becoming more resilient? Do you welcome the thought of being able to handle the situations life throws at you without falling apart? Are you reminding yourself to start where you are, to begin building your resilience skills even if you've handled disturbing situations poorly until now? Are you willing to give yourself a break and forgive yourself for panicking or overreacting or making knee-jerk decisions you regret? It doesn't matter what you did before. Do what you can now so your future is better. Email me and let me know your thoughts about all of this. I'm at unmaskingpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Dina McMillan.